Hey everyone, Joe here. In this episode, I had the opportunity to chat with David Perret. David is an active duty Marine who devotes his free time to teaching service members and veterans how to build wealth through real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance. During our discussion, we talked about David's journey to financial freedom, and he provides tips on how to maximize your wealth. Enjoy. Live. Learning, leadership, Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan. I have with me another amazing guest in the lounge today, David Perret. What's going on, brother? Uh, not much, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, I, uh, man. It's awesome to have you here. <laughs> I was going to say something smart, but then I remembered I'm a Marine, so <laughs> I just blanked there. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> this is going to be a great conversation. I can already tell. <laughs> you know, for, for our listeners, David is an active duty Marine who devotes his free time to teaching service members and veterans how to build wealth through real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance. He also has experience as a command financial specialist that we're going to talk about a little bit and manages the From Military to Millionaire website and host the Military Millionaire podcast. David, man, we really wanted to talk financial fitness in the lounge for a little bit now, and we're really excited to have you on. Well, I appreciate that. I'm excited to do this. It's going to yeah. be fun. I always, I always like when I talk to someone else who's like still in the military and has a podcast or something they do, because it's like, I don't know, I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah, I know, juggling a couple different things at one time, for sure. Well, I mean, shoot, we were supposed to be recording 13 minutes ago, and I'm like, uh, hang on, I got a <laughs> lieutenant who forgot to request to leave the field, and now they want to leave the field, and I got to balance this, and I'm like, okay, we're good now. Hey, you know what You know what LTs are good for, right? They keep us engaged. They keep us, uh, <laughs> they keep us on our toes. We love them. <laughs> Who gave the LT a compass? <laughs> Absolutely, right? So, man. So, yeah, excited to have you on, man. I heard you on um, VP's podcast, and um, I just told him immediately, I need to have that guy on because the stuff you talked about, I think, um, it's just so much, so value added to um, the Llama listeners. So just, like I said, real excited um, and, and just can't wait to get in some discussion about financial fitness. And I'm going to go ahead and start this off and put this caveat out there for everybody. I am an idiot when it comes to financial <laughs> readiness. All right. I just know it's important, but I don't know how to do it. I know the why, but not the how. And I think the cool thing is David's here to talk to us a little bit about the how and the what. So it's going to be pretty cool. So David, whenever we have guests in the lounge, we like to have them share their story as we find that we often get like a lot of knowledge and wisdom from the stories of others. So we're hoping um, to start off, you'd share how David Perret became the David Perret we know today. Well, uh, <laughs> back in the late 80s, my parents had a really nice date night. And Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I decided to join the Marine Corps in 08 because uh, I had no money for college, didn't know what I wanted to study, and wanted to get out of Arkansas, which I think is great reasons to go and join you know, the military. It's like, fuck it. Why not? Okay. <clears throat> I should have asked. Can I swear on your podcast? Uh, minimize, but yeah. Right, I'll, 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 uh, I'll watch it going forward. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, so joined the Marine Corps doing transportation, logistics, stuff like that, travel the world, you, you know, the normal gig, get blown up, go to Afghanistan, live your life, beat your chest, normal Marine Corps stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 2015, I was a recruiter 
And someone handed me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was like, eh, I don't really like to read. And then they were like, well, you should listen to it on audiobook and handed me the CD. So I was like, okay, well, you called my bluff. I'll, I'll listen to it. Fine. Like, you know, like kind of like one of those, like, oh, I'll do it. Fine. Shut up. You know, um, straight up changed my life. Like I read the book and I was like, huh, okay. Real estate, finance, assets, retire. Sounds good. This all sounds exciting. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I just kind of started doing Google research and reading more books from similar authors, more books. Uh, I stumbled into bigger pockets, started reading books from Brandon Turner, and uh, within like three or four months, I owned a duplex and it was like, oh, well, all right, now I'm house hacking. This is cool. Kind of the stars kind of aligned. So right. it was like, I had to decide if I was renewing a lease on an apartment or moving out. And then I found a place that worked to where it was like, well, I'm paying five fifty a month on the apartment or I'm going to pay six fifteen a month to own a duplex. So mm. for 65 bucks more, I can risk it and I've got a tenant already. So honestly, it'll be cheaper. And then when I moved out, the duplex has paid for every penny I put into it every year since then. So for four or five years now, it's made 100% cash on cash return. And I would love to tell you that that was like the beginning of me being a perfect financial nerd who did amazing things. But uh, it's been a slow journey to actually be like somewhat savvy with finances and not realize like, ooh, I made money. I'm going to go buy beer. Um, you know, and I, I made some ridiculously stupid decisions when I was early on, but I guess that's a little bit about kind of whatever. And then I, you know, I started blogging and then shoot, that was all she wrote. I started to blog just like document what I was doing and people freaking loved it. Like next thing I know, I've got a fairly large following and a podcast and a YouTube channel and it's making some money and I'm debating whether I'm staying in the Marine Corps or going reserves. Mm. And people think that I'm worthy of asking for advice, which is flattering because I'm like, uh, (laughs) see me 10 years ago, but you know, it's been cool, man. That that sounds cool. So, do you think you would have bought that um, that duplex if you hadn't read, you know, the book? I mean, the Rich Dad Poor Dad book, or was it just kind of fall in line that way? How'd that work out? Yeah, no, I never would have. I, I had yeah. thought of buying uh, like a live-in flip fixer-upper type home when I moved out there, and I looked at. I didn't even make it to looking at a property. I met with a realtor, yeah. and then I was like, didn't know what I was doing, and nobody seemed to like be able to tell me what I should do. Mm-hmm. And so I just immediately talked myself out of it and was like, well, an apartment's easy. It's safe. Right. And I moved into an apartment. Um, and so even if I decided to get into real estate, like I'd been thinking of at one point, I wouldn't have even known to think about doing a like duplex and renting out one side to cover my mortgage unless I'd gotten into those books. I mean, it would have been years before I figured that out. It definitely wouldn't have been my first purchase. Mm. Yeah. And that's interesting because, I mean, even reading the book, it probably didn't give you all the insight that you needed, but it gave you enough to be motivated to try something new. And um, I think that's real important for people to kind of, I mean, I I don't want people to go out there and take every risk that, (laughs) you know, I mean, that jumps in the way. But I think that if you make an educated, um, take some calculated risk by, you know, doing some research like you did, I think that's pretty cool because, yeah, I I think, unfortunately, I think that uh, a lot of us are extremely willing to take risk in some areas, but then really risk averse in others that can really um, limit what we, you know, li- limit our future potential for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because you think of risk and people get nervous at the idea of buying a house that might cost a hundred thousand dollars, but it only costs, you know, depending on your loans, zero to right. 20,000 out of pocket. Uh, but they have no problem at all buying a $65,000 <laughs> new truck at 10% interest. 
Right. But they have a problem buying something that could potentially pay them to live in it yeah. at 3% interest. So it's funny the risks people are okay with and the risks that actually feel like risks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I, I see it too. It's like even at 10%, sometimes, you know, some of these guys getting raked over for 18, 20%. And it's I've just seen nuts. as high as 23 or maybe 26, something. I mean, it was insane for yeah. a car. Yeah, it's pretty, it's interesting. It's just how, how we view things and the vantage point we're in. Um, so what, um, so what were you actually doing in the Marine Corps or what, I guess what you're still doing? Well, at the time I was a recruiter, uh, but I'm a logistics guy by trade. So I do motor transportation. Um, currently I basically do what we were just joking about where I field phone calls from units needing to move from here to there or units who forgot that they needed to move from here to there. And now they need me to save them. Um, I mean, it's a lot cooler than that, but that's the funny side of it. Uh, but it's, you know, we, we basically just help help with the big picture uh, flights and, and movements across wherever people need to go. So it doesn't sound cool, but you get to see some interesting stuff. Uh, by trade, I, you know, I'm much more content running convoys and stuff, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you also fell into the whole command financial specialist too, right? And can you explain, because um, a lot of our audience is Air Force and we actually don't have that position. So, and it's funny because whenever I bring that up to somebody, including my own boss today, I, I told him about it and he was like, why don't we have that? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things I think could be really beneficial. And um, yeah, if you could kind of explain what, what it is and how you kind of fell into that job. It's because everybody just assumes the Air Force is way smarter, so they must be good with money, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're great with it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's a the command financial specialist is a B billet. So it's a you know it's an additional duty. It can be your full time job. I've not been lucky enough to be stationed somewhere where it was my full time job, mm. but it essentially it's a week long course that we go through that teaches us the basics of budgeting, understanding, uh, leave and earning statements, uh, income taxes, you know, 401ks, TSP, Roth TSP, mm. normal military stuff, understanding how to purchase a car, how to run through a budget for purchasing a car, a house. Um, unfortunately it's kind of geared towards what to do to fix things once it's, once they've made a mistake, because what happens is a lot of times service members come to you and they're like, oh man, uh, I messed up. You know, as opposed to saying, hey, I'm thinking about getting married. What do you guys think I should do for a budget? It's like, hey, I got married and divorced mm. in a weekend. Now I owe three grand in child support and I bought a 27% interest Mustang. Can you help me? Like, oh, and by the way, my security clearance just got revoked, but I want to reenlist. And you're like, oh, thanks. That, oh, yeah, awesome. Perfect. I'm glad you didn't see me before because that would have <laughs> been too easy. Um, but yeah, so the position is actually really cool because I get to help a lot of people out. But I always tried to take it from the standpoint of like, let me see if I can do a presentation on like when the blended retirement system was coming out, right. we had a checklist like, Hey, everybody has to sign this form that they've read this PowerPoint. But I was like, Nope, we are going to do a full on regimental sit down in the chapel. Staff mm -hmm. on parade is going to talk to you for 45 minutes about, yeah, sure. The blended retirement system. But I took advantage of that. And it was like the entirety of my philosophy on saving money. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I tried to take it the more proactive approach to it because I figure if I can just help one person save themselves from financial ruin, you know, it's crazy to look back and think like if I had known what I know now, mm -hmm. I mean, sure, there's all kinds of what ifs, but I know for a fact that I would have at least double, if not triple in my thrift savings plan because I just left the money sitting and rotting in the G fund for a right. decade, you know, and it was yeah. 2011 was like that, like that time frame when the market's earning 20, 30% return and I've got my money sitting in a fund earning 2%. 
right? You know, yeah. literally double or triple. I would have, I mean, easily an extra 100K in my 401k if I'd just known to put it in a different fund, even if I didn't increase the allotment, which I definitely would. Right. And that's exactly the kind of things that I think people need to hear. Um, Cause I was fortunate enough to work at the Airman and Family Readiness Center for a while. Uh, and, you know, we have our financial specialist there. And I think, I kind of think that's one of the reasons why we don't have a command financial specialist. They decentralize it all. But I do think there's a lot of value in having one assigned to the units. Um, for one thing, it, you know, hopefully that person gains a little bit more trust with the, with their teams. So people will come talk to them about things, but, um, but I think, you know, there's value to having both of them, but yeah, I, I gained that insight, you know, on making sure that I put it in the right funds and all that stuff and stuff, just throwing it in there blindly and not really knowing what's happening with your money and just checking it every now and then. So I think that is information that um, as, you know, as much as I think, okay, I know a lot of people and they seem like they know what they're doing with their finances. That doesn't mean there's not a giant population of people out there that are clearly like just completely clueless on what they're doing and cause they're busy doing other things. So I think um, the more we talk about financial readiness and financial and what we can do to just maximize our money, um, it'll just help us, to, it'll help us free up some of those, you know, free up time to go do other things if we're financially stable, you know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, man. So, so finance, command financial specialists, you go into your reading first, let's go back a bit. You read rich dad, poor dad. So it gives you this little spur of like, uh, you know, you're, you're thinking you're sparked right there into the finances a little bit. You do your first, um, uh, uh, rental property or no, did you, you rented it out also, right? You bought it and you rented it. Yeah. Yeah. I did the, the, oh, look, I'm wearing my buddy's shirt that says house hacking club, but yeah, I house nice. hacked. So I lived in one side and I rented the other side out to pay for majority of the expenses. Okay. So from the time where it went from that to you become a command financial specialist, was there a lot more just kind of uh, uh, gaining insight throughout the time or did you just slip right into that soon after? No. Yeah. I mean, it was a continual self-education, books and podcasts, books and podcasts, asking people questions, research online, you know, whatever. Um, I still do that. I mean, I'm going to, I don't know, last year I read 50 or 60 books. Actually, I probably read a lot more than that. I read 49 books in the last six months of the year. Mm. Um, a, a lot of audio books, but um, I don't know how close I'll get this year, but there's a, a decent possibility that I'll be, eh, I don't think I'll get to a hundred, but I'll probably be over 60 books again this year. Um, and, and I just say that to say that you can learn a lot of this just by reading. Mm -hmm. Like people ask for mentors all the time, which is great, but like someone took the time to write a book about it. That's pretty solid mentorship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They probably know a little bit of something, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. So like, how do you, I mean, what are some tips that you would give for somebody? Cause I think that more people are in your boat and I think that's better because if someone just comes in and starts talking about how the, how they grew up in a family that they always knew what to do, right. With their fun, their money, you know I mean? That's not exactly inspirational for a lot of us. <laughs> so, so for you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cool story, bro. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but if like, um, but you know, more people I think that are in our audience group, could probably gain from your story. So what would be some tips that you would provide to help someone get started? Maybe they don't have a lot of, um, a lot of capital and invest in anything, you know, what, what are some tips you give some of our veterans and maybe even our young civilians? Oh boy. All right. So the first thing I would say is there's this, this phrase, I'm sure you've heard it in the military. Have you ever heard anyone say that we don't get paid enough? Yeah. I've heard it all okay. the time. I would, I would tell them to lose that vocabulary <laughs> and learn how their taxes work because you actually get paid plenty compared to what, I mean, you, you know, as well as I do, if you were to factor in what your BAH cost mm -hmm. is, what your food allowance is, what your, all your non-tax benefits and your, your TSP and your GI bill and your 401k yeah. and your uh, life insurance and whatever, um, 
you would easily need double what your salary is to live on, if not more. Like right now, my W-2 salary is like $42,000, but I'm raking in. I would need like 105000 to live in the same way I do right now in the same location. Um, so that's a substantial difference, right? And we have all these crazy benefits because it's not taxed. Right. So it's like, eh, okay, yeah, sure. Your W-2 doesn't say you got much, but that's good because that means you're at a lower tax bracket even though you're getting a lot of money. Right. Um, so I'd say erase that mentality. That's, that's just a victim mentality that I hate that service members have. And then the next thing is people think that they need to earn more money, which is cool and it's flashy and get rich quick sounds good. But no, just slash your expenses. Nine times out of 10, your expenses are the problem, right? Like if you, you know, I got this brand new $400 watch, but if I was going to walk around with this watch and say that I was broke because the Marine Corps didn't pay, pay enough, no, I'm broke because my priorities are in the wrong place. I shouldn't buy a $400 watch or an iPhone or a pair of Jordans or, uh, you know, eat at pizza at Domino's every night or whatever if my finances suck. So figure out what expense, like I'm not saying you don't have to live in a box. I like nice stuff, but figure out what you're spending and, you know, manage your expenses. Don't, if, if you think about it this way, if you, if you have a property that earns $1,000 a month in rent and your expenses are 800, you make 200 bucks a month. Well, that's great. If you up the rent to 1100, you make $300 a month, but that extra $100 is taxed, so it's really only $70. And if the tenant moves out, you're still paying 800 a month in expenses. Whereas if you cut the expenses from 800 to 700, it's still a net of only a $100 difference, right? Only $300 instead of $200. But you already paid taxes on it, so that 100 is actual money in your pocket. And if the tenant moves out, now you're still only paying 700 instead of 800. So it's like, if you can get your expenses right, and that's the piece people forget about because it's not flashy, then your personal business, your finances will be better. So if you can live on a little bit less eating out and whatever, and you save the difference, then sure, if you make more income later on, that's great, but you've already got your finances in check. Because otherwise what happens is people get promoted and then mm -hmm. they go spend some more money and then they get promoted yeah. and then they go spend some more money. We call it expense creep. And then right. next thing you know, you've doubled your salary and your expenses and you're still broke. Um, so get rid of the victim mentality. You don't get paid enough, manage your expenses. So you're not blowing all your money. And then the next thing is pay yourself first. So the idea that you just set money aside to invest first. So if you, if you get paid a thousand dollars and you're like, I'm going to invest whatever is left over. Well, that's great until you've got 150 bucks left over and you're like, Hmm, I have food in the fridge. I have leftovers, but let's go eat Italian. We got money. We get paid tomorrow. And then you right. eat Italian and now you put 50 bucks away to invest. But if at the beginning of the month you put $150 into an investment account and you only had 700 or 850 to live on, then by the time you get to the end of the month, you're going to eat the leftovers because you don't have the money in your account. And then you already saved 150 bucks. So like smart people and rich people, whatever, you know, they, they, in, they put money in their investment accounts right away before they spend it. So like I have allotments, I have like 30% of my income goes to TSP immediately. Uh, $200 a month goes immediately, 100 to each of my kids. I have a little index fund 401k that they each get. Um, and then like, oh, trying to make sure math in public. It's going <laughs> to sound like a lot. I don't think it's really that much. Probably 1500 a month gets dumped immediately into my business account. Um, and then I don't live on much. Like I, I still have expensive taste. I still save money. I still rent out part of my bedrooms and stuff. So I get to keep that. I like, like bedrooms in my house, but like probably a thousand bucks, if not more, actually, sorry, probably close to 2000 bucks every month 
gets shoved in some various savings account that I never see or, or, or investing account or whatever. And then I live on what's left. And then at the end of the month, if I still have some left over, I invest that. But if I don't, who cares? Cause I already made, you know, I already put $2,000 away. And so I think that's the big piece. People think, Oh, well, yeah, I'll save or I'll invest whatever's left. Well, nothing's going to be left because at the end of the month, you're going to have to choose between money to invest and food because you didn't budget right. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to choose food because it sounds good. So yeah, I think those are probably, I mean, those are probably the three biggest thing, like get the right mentality, cut your expenses and live below your means, and then make sure you put money in an investment account up front. And that investment vessel can be whatever. I mean, the, the VA loan allows you to do a house hack. Uh, the TSP is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, basic index funds are great. You know, there's a lot of good options out there. But yeah, I hope I didn't go too overboard on that. No, no, I, I don't think you did. Um, I just always think, because like, I think the advice you just gave is absolutely 100% correct. I, I just think sometimes, you know, I, I think back when I was a knucklehead 18-year-old that just joined the Air Force going through what we call first-term airman center and someone's telling me that I need to prepare for my retirement. And I'm like, um, I don't even know if I'm going to be alive when I'm 35. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, man, I got, I, I, I need to get this bad car. I need to go do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, what are some things that you'd be able to, man, well, do you, is there anything that you could tell a young supervisor that's trying to shift the mindset of that, of that brand new, you know, Marine, that brand new airman um, that's in that hasn't found a value there yet to know how important it is to start investing. And I think that's the, that's like, that's, that's the, the hard. Uh, yeah. Crash. That's the tell. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that is really tough. And um, yeah, those are things I know that we find challenging because we know what they're doing right now isn't going to be effective, but, um, but it's hard to make them understand that. The thing that kind of works for me is the mentality of like, if I can, save money now Mm -hmm. instead of buying the race car, then I can buy a much nicer race car in 20 years. And, and so I kind of try to like, I've had the race cars, I've had the Harley, I've had the whatever. And I kind of like, I sold my race, my, my most recent race car, quote unquote, uh, two years ago. And my reasoning was finally like, look, this thing was incredible. It was fun. I love this freaking car. But if I sell it right now, I can buy a Lamborghini in 20 years or whatever, right? And so I don't know how you necessarily get that message through to people because like you said, when I was 18, I was like, I might die in Afghanistan. I don't right, care. Right. Um, but I think you just say like, look, if you can max out your TSP this first four years, right. then you never have to invest in it again. And it'll compound so much because you started early that you will have millions of dollars in there potentially. And you can go buy that really nice car, buy a nicer car in five years and not care because you know your retirement's taken care of. Um, and I don't know if that'll go get through anyone's head, but man, like I'm playing catch up right now. 30% right. of my income goes into the TSP and I will never catch up to what would have happened if I just put 20% in or 30% in the first four years, put it in right. the right fund. Right. Yeah. And I think that's probably the first time I um it, it dawned on me was when I had a, um, uh, Chief Master on E9 show me his finances. I don't know why he did. He just kind of showed me this pie, this pie chart of where his money was at. And I was like, holy crap, you got that much money? And he's like, yeah. And I started late. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I started late and I was like, man, 
So anybody could do it, you know, and I think that's where, you know, we can inspire our folks by showing them that we can do it too. And that's probably, I mean, just like anything else in leadership is leading by example. You're showing them that you can possibly do it because I think young me just telling me I'm not listening. You show me something. I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah. Maybe there's something there, you know, but I think a way we can do that is kind of like what you've been doing with real estate investing. Cause you started off at a pretty low grade, right? When you, when you first bought your first property. Yeah. yeah it was E5. Yeah. And those are things, I mean, most of E5s were like, I ain't going to be able to buy a house, you know, <laughs> with, with that pay. So I'm thinking, you know, how does somebody get started in like real estate investing? Uh, I mean, the nice thing is with the VA loan, it doesn't take much. I got an E4. Yeah, this is going to sound crazy. Um, one of my E4s is, he's married so they're dual mill so that's a plus but they just bought a 1.1 million dollar triplex out here and mm. i know a sergeant who just bought a 1.2 million dollar fourplex wow. and both of them are living in their house for free and keeping all their bah and every month their loan gets paid down by two thousand dollars so in essence their net worth is going to go up by twenty four thousand dollars a year not including the amount of money they're not paying on bah so they could theoretically save fifty thousand dollars a year between equity and their BAH, not including that their house will go up in value. Um, I mean, that's like the big side of it. But on the small side, like if you live somewhere like North Carolina, you buy a $100,000 house, it costs you nothing because you use the VA loan. Mm -hmm. And then you, you just get, if you buy like a fourplex, you can rent out four bedroom or three, three other units and they'll cover your rent. You could also just get a big house and rent out two or three rooms to buddies. Like my favorite thing in the world, it, it, like the best thing ever is if, if you were like a young commission officer, like a pilot, right? Like you join, you join the air force, you say, and you, you get to your unit and you're a pilot and you hunt down three or four of your pilot buddies and you say, Hey dudes, I just bought a five bedroom house and you're all going to pay me whatever amount of money a month to live in my house as roommates because we've all been roommates through flight school anyway. And I'm going to charge you less than what you'd pay out in town. So you're saving money and they're paying for your house and you're living for free. Like that's cool. And that's so easy. It's not scary because buying a house sounds cool, but then you're living for free and you just take whatever money you would have put on rent and stuff it in an account. And you're learning how to be a landlord. You're learning how rental properties work. You're learning how debt pays down and, and your taxes work and all that other stuff. You get all those benefits but you're also saving whatever your rent would have been every single month, maybe even more. And then you, you have, by the time you're done three years down the road, you've got depending on your market. I mean, if it's a thousand dollars a month, you got 36,000 bucks sitting in there. If it's more expensive, you've got double, triple. I mean, if it was San Diego, you could, you could have $75,000 sitting in that account that you didn't touch, yeah. if not more. And now you're like, Oh, well I want to buy a house. Well, I've got, a hundred grand, 75 grand that I can do it with, you know? And that's a crazy thing to think of, but it's so incredibly easy. And I wish, especially for officers, because they get that stupid career starter bonus that they <laughs> think they're so incredible with. Because, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you're an officer, I'm sorry, I'm talking smack. I'm just jealous. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they get like twenty five dollars or $30,000 from USAA at like a half a percent of interest or something crazy like that. And then they go buy a car with it instead of a house, but they could easily buy a house, rent out bedrooms to all their buddies. They all live together and party together and hang out together and whatever. And you're making like millionaire decisions. That's it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and like you said, I think, 
you know, it's easy, but it just takes discipline. And that's, and that's the issue. You know, some of our brains are still forming and try to figure out, you know, yeah. uh, how, how to instill some of that discipline within ourselves to be able to save and put that money aside to still be able to have a good time. And, you know, um, and I think it's a lot of it, like, and I've been stationed overseas quite a bit and overseas, it just seems like life's a little bit simpler and you kind of adjust to wherever yeah. you're at. And, oh, I don't, I guess I didn't need that. I haven't had it for the last six months, but then immediately you come back to the States and it's like, our culture is like a keep, keep up with the Joneses type thing, mm. which you don't have to, but you're like, oh, that guy has that cool thing. Why don't I have one of those? And it just, you know, it just starts to um, starts to snowball into a thing where you feel like you're broke again. So yeah, yeah, yeah I think yeah, we're definitely fighting some cultural things as well. But I think what you, the, the things that like you're doing with your podcast and, and the things you're doing at your job with the command financial specialist stuff is absolutely helping us because there are a lot of young smart you know, service members coming in that absolutely know the value of money. And I've seen, I've seen a little bit of a shift from when, when um, dummies like me first came in and we we're all just blowing all our money on everything, you know, you and I both. <laughs> absolutely. So, Hey, so we talked about the blended retirement system a little bit and, um, and I think there's still a lot of people that fully don't grasp how they could take advantage of that. And I was hoping that maybe you can touch on, you know, your thoughts on it and your perspectives on how we can maximize that, you know, brand new Emory coming in, they're, they're right in it, right? What do they need to do right away? And how do we help them make that decision? Well, first up, I think the blended retirement system is so good that I changed over to it at 10 years in the military. Um, and I had, that was the worst time to change because I lost the extra half percent towards retirement for every year, but I had already missed out on 10 years of them matching the TSP. And I still feel like I did the right thing. So there's a couple of things that the blended retirement system does. One is we're all used to, you retire at 20 years, you get two and a half percent for every year you serve. So 50%, the blended retirement system makes that 2%. So you only get 40. If you do 30 years, you get uh, 60, 60%. So Nah, a little bit less, 60% instead of 75% of your base pay. Like that, that adds up that 15%. But you get, if you, if you, when you join, you automatically get 1% put in your TSP every single month. So that's an instant 1% pay raise. But if you put 5% into your thrift savings plan, they will match 5%. So I still recommend you always put 20% in right when you join. Mm -hmm. But if you put 5% in your TSP, they'll match. 5% up to 5% or whatever. So once you get to that 5% match, that's for one, that's an instant 5% pay raise because you were not going to get that money unless you put that in for two. That's money. That means that you're literally doubling your investment in the TSP immediately. Like you put a hundred bucks in, they match a hundred bucks. Ta-da freaking. I just yeah. doubled up. Like you could lose 50% on your TSP and still be a break even. Um, so that's incredible because what that allows is if you only do four years in the military, you take that with you. So now you've put even more money into your thrift savings plan than you would have before. And you're getting to leave with it, which is great because normally you don't get crap if you don't make it to 20 years. So that's an extra right. 5% you get, which is awesome. And then also they have a continuation pace. When you hit 12 years in the military, which I'll actually get mine in about a month, um, you get a multiplier of your MOS, of your base pay. So that kind of depends on MOS and stuff. But like right now, the base is 2.5% so or 2.5 times. So I will get two and a half months of base pay on my 12th year in the Marine Corps anniversary, which is cool because that's, I don't know, like 10 grand, nine grand, something like that. And I can allot to have all of that go immediately in my TSP, which is like an instant 
half of my, you know, yearly allowance for the TSP, or I can put part of it here or part of it there. I can use the 10 grand to buy a house or part of a house, or, I mean, really the sky's the limit. So what I am personally going to do, um, and this might sound crazy, I suppose, I don't know. Uh, I don't know for sure that I'm going to re-enlist, right? And you have to agree to re-enlist to take the continuation pay, but I'm going to put the 25%, which is one year's worth, which is what I have left on contract, into my TSP. And the other 75%, I'm just going to put it in a certificate of deposit and hold it. And then if I end up deciding to go in the reserves, I'll have to pay that back to the Marine Corps, but I'll keep the interest, so whatever. Um, but the continuation pay is great. And I would say if you're planning on staying in, dump that straight into your TSP. That's an extra $10,000 into your thrift savings plan. Unless you were already maxing it out every year, then maybe you take that 10 grand and invest it somewhere. Um, but take it and invest it. And what you'll find is that with the 5% match in the right fund and you, you still contributing to TSP, by the time you get to retirement, you'll have enough money in your account to more than make up, like way more than make up for the original retire, what the original retirement would have been. And you can opt to take your normal retirement pay or you can take a lump sum right when you retire. So a huge chunk of change if you were starting a business or buying a house or something, and then you'll just get less for the next few years uh, towards your retirement. So, you know, that's something you got to look into. I would say the, the lump sum is probably not the best idea. There's probably, a, there's a reason the military is uh, giving that to people because they know that it sounds good and they'll take it. Um, but if you're financially savvy, that's a huge amount of money that you can go start a business with. So it could be good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of financial stuff is like that, right? It depends on your life situation at the time, the discipline you have and, and what station you're at in life. But yeah, I think that that's, that's a great explanation. And um, I'd like to like switch gears a little bit from the blended, but just still in the TSP realm of what are your thoughts on Roth versus traditional? I think Roth is great for service members. So the, the matching contribution will always mm -hmm. go in traditional. Mm -hmm. um, but I think Roth is the way to go. And here's why. Basic, the, the, there's you know, the Roth you pay taxes now and you don't pay taxes later. The traditional right. you pay taxes later, you don't pay taxes now. But if you make more money now than you think you will in retirement, pay the taxes later and do traditional. Mm -hmm. But if you make less money now than you think you will in retirement, pay the taxes now and don't pay taxes later is the theory. In the military, when you first join, mm -hmm. say you're an E2, and you're only paying taxes on what you earn. So because half your income isn't taxed, you're, you're paying taxes in like $30,000 a year. That's like a 12% income bracket. That is the second lowest bracket. Basically, that's lower than anything but like homelessness on taxes. Like the, I think the lowest bracket is like zero to $9,999 a year in salary. So you're making the next bracket up. If you pay taxes at 12%, then when you're 60, if you're earning $80,000 a year, who cares? Your money doesn't have to be taxed. You already paid 12%. So now you don't have to pay 30%. But if you don't pay taxes right now, and then you make $80,000 a year and that tax bracket, I don't know, is 30%. Well, now you, yeah, you earned all this money, but you're paying 30% in taxes instead of 12%. And I just kind of look at it like this. If you do your stuff right financially, you're going to make more money in retirement theoretically than you do now. At least, at least the first five years you're in the military. And I don't think taxes are going to go down anytime. Like, I don't know about you, but generally <laughs> speaking, I find that taxes go up mm -hmm. as we go through more debt in the country. Right. Um, so my money 
is on paying taxes up front so that you don't have to worry about if they tax it more later and you don't have to worry about if you make more money later because I plan on making more than $30,000 a year when I retire. Right, absolutely. And then also for our members that are going to deployed locations where they're tax-free, I mean, those are other opportunities, right, that I don't know if enough people think about. That's the best because right. then if you – and that's – I am so glad you brought that up. That's like the freaking coolest thing ever because mm -hmm. then if you're putting money in the Roth mm – -hmm your tax, your money's tax exempt. Mm -hmm. So every penny you put in isn't taxed when you pay it in because you're tax exempt. You're not taxed on what you earn because it's a Roth and you're not taxed when you withdraw it because it's a Roth. So you literally will not pay a penny in taxes on anything that you put in your Roth when you're in a combat zone. It's triple tax deferred. It's like the only freaking way in the world that you can do that without some crazy strategy. It's right. insane. Yeah, legally, right? Yeah, it's probably yeah. the only legal way you can shelter. I your mean, money there's from taxes there's some <laughs> some really odd ways to do yeah, it with like yeah. whole life and stuff, but yeah. they're all so complicated, and there's yeah. all these gotchas. Like that's yeah. simple. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's why I think we a lot of us aren't taking advantage of that too. So, um, if you're all out there listening, especially about to go into a zone where where you're tax free, then just if you're not sure. Email David Perret and he'll walk you through it, right? We'll, we'll give you his contact yeah. info after this. But hey, so another thing I noticed from your website, right? And this is just something intriguing. And like I said, I'm a moron when it comes to finances. It says, what are your thoughts on creative financing and what is this cattle financing we've heard of? And both of those <laughs> things, I don't understand at all. So can you explain at the layman's level what we're talking about there? I should probably change that because cattle, <laughs> cattle financing is one of those things that was in reference to my Bigger Pockets episode, but it's a funny mm. story. Mm. Um, in essence, that was I wanted to buy five acres next to my house, mm. and it wasn't really a good investment. But instead of saying, hmm, man, I want to buy this, but it's not an investment, so I can't. I said, well, how can I afford this? Like, How can I make this something that's worth buying? And what I realized is we had like five cows that we, you know, they're beef cows or whatever back in Missouri. And I realized talking to my father-in-law that if we allowed the five to breed and become 10, then the difference would pay for the mortgage on the new property. And so basically cattle financing was my way of joking around that I was able to figure out how to pay for this extra five acres that I wanted, even though it wasn't an investment, by raising more cows that would cover the payment. So although it wasn't an investment, it doesn't cost me money. In fact, it actually makes me a little bit of money. So I guess it was an investment. Um, but it allowed me to buy something I wanted. And so it was just creative. But creative financing is like, the best option is seller financing, which is when you can convince someone to sell you a house, but you pay them back instead of like the bank. So in essence, it would be like, hey, I want to buy your Ford Focus. I'll give you 10 grand. But instead of me giving you a check for 10,000, I'll pay you $1,000 a month for 11 months. So you get an extra thousand bucks for not having a bank involved or whatever. And you can do different interest rates. You, it's, it's good because you can fluctuate on interest rates. You can fluctuate on down payment. Uh, you can negotiate everything. And so it can be a huge win-win for you and the seller. And it doesn't have to take credit or whatever because it doesn't have to have a bank involved. So like if you have bad credit, that could be a good option. If you yeah. have um, maybe you just don't want to use a bank or maybe you've already bought 10 properties and Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac won't let you take another conventional loan because you have 10 loans out, um, which is a real thing. Like there's all kinds of reasons, but seller financing is cool. It's actually good for the seller too, because if you make a lot of profit on a property, you have to pay taxes on it. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times sellers would prefer to make small checks every month as opposed to a big chunk and then have to pay a massive amount of taxes. So it kind of shrinks your tax bracket. So um, 
yeah, a lot yeah. of cool, a lot of cool options. But I mean, that could be a lease option. That could be seller financing. It, it's just being creative and realizing that a bank isn't the only way to buy real estate. Right. And you know, you just touched something. It touched on credit, and that is something that I find that um, you know, I was fortunate, even though I didn't grow up with much. That um, the one thing that I was taught early on was was the importance of credit. And, and then I, you know, as I'm growing up and I'm, you know, it's a young airman, I'm talking to other people and they don't even know what I'm talking about. And they're, and they've already impacted their credit negatively at that point. Um, so what are, what are some ways that you think that, um, I mean, if you have any tips that can help someone, um, rebound when they have some, when they've had some early credit issues. Well, first thing, and this is a, an interesting one is if you don't have a credit card mm-hmm. and you're 18, 19, you need to go get a credit card right? Uh, because if you don't have a credit card until you're like 22 and then you go try to take out a loan on a house, it's actually almost worse than having bad credit is to not have a credit history. Like mm-hmm. that means that the bank pulls up your social security number and nobody has ever lent you money and you've never repaid anything. So it's just a total guessing game. So even if you have good finances, people aren't going to want to lend to you because they're going to be like, well, he might have money in the bank, but we don't know if that's because he's never paid anyone back that he was supposed to, or he's living paycheck to paycheck. And that's just like a windfall. Like we don't know. So go get a credit card once a month, swipe it for gas, pay it off the next day, swipe it for gas, pay it off the next day, just so that you're building a track record. But the biggest thing with building your credit score is debt, like credit utilization. So if you have a credit card and you can, I don't know, if you can pull out $10,000 as a credit limit, if you have $7,500 on it and you're making the minimum payments, well, the credit, your credit score is going to drop because 75% of your credit has been used. And so they think that that means you're like really encroaching on the maximum. Whereas if you have $2,500 out on the credit card and you're making the minimum payments, your score is going to be a lot better because, hey, you've still got, you're only using 25% of your available credit. And then the other big piece is length of credit. So like once you open that credit card when you're 18, 19, never, ever, 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 never, never, never close it out. So just make sure it's one that doesn't have like a big annual fee, right. but just don't close it because if you leave that credit card on your name, then even if you open and close other ones as you get older, you've still got one that'll have, like I have a credit card that I haven't used in probably eight years, mm-hmm. but I never closed the account because it's a 12 year old credit card. And so like they want to see a long history of credit. So if you close out your oldest card, your score will drop right? because now you don't have that much history. So always keep your oldest card open, even if you never use it. And then, uh, you know, unless there's like $300 of your fees, in which case maybe right. not, but yeah. Um, and then keep a low balance. And honestly, I would just say pay it off every month is the best way to do it. Cause you can, right. like, if you're good and you know you'll pay the card off every month, it's actually really, really smart in a lot of ways to swipe your credit card for everything and then pay yeah. it off because right. you can earn three, four, points, yeah. 5% back in points or cash mm-hmm. reserves or, or cash rewards or whatever. And that can pay you quite well as long as you pay it off every month. Yeah. And that's what um, I think a lot of people in active duty that don't have, um, that do have pretty good credit. They're not taking advantage of getting one of those, you know, the Chase Sapphire or the MX Platinum because that's, I use the MX Platinum for most of my stuff and Same. they waive the fees, you know, they waive that $500 fee, uh, annual fee, and then you get to use it. And I pay it off every month. I even pay my rent off with it right now because my apartment allows me to use it with zero fees because of COVID right now. So I switched it yeah. over. Yeah. So they were nice because normally there's like a couple, of, there's enough of a percentage fee on yeah. uh, on it that it wasn't worth it. But now that it's re, so I'm taking advantage of 
that and I'm racking up points. I mean, That's I am awesome. racking up points. And yeah. I, I know a friend of mine told me, it's was like, hey, nowadays, if the credit card does not work for you, if you don't have a credit card that's working for you, then you're then you need to find a new credit card that's gonna be a lot more beneficial to what you're doing. Yeah. Every one of my business expenses runs through my credit card and then I pay it off. Yeah. And every every month I rack up another six hundred, seven hundred points. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And and the cool thing is like it's funny the Amex button is like, hey, did you cause normally you pay that every month, you know, they want you to pay it every month. And it's like, Oh, you can do a pay over time. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm not don't even sign me up for that. I'll go ahead and just pay that off every month. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, great opportunities there. And um love that we're able to share some of that. So I gotta ask you this question though. Um, what is your biggest mistake you've ever made when it comes to finances? Man, I've made a lot. Um but there's some that I wouldn't call mistakes. So like mm -hmm. the most expensive error I've ever made is I flipped a house and I didn't manage the contractor properly and his business went under and I lost 30 grand. Um, but I wouldn't call that a mistake. I would call that a bump in the road. Yeah. Probably my biggest mistake was probably buying things like a, a Harley or guns that I never <laughs> shoot because I live in California or mm -hmm. my race car. Um, you know, I luckily never bought a new car, but I'll tell you right now, the most expensive mistake most service members buy is mm -hmm. a new car. Because right. if you buy a car that's six years old, I think like six, seven years is like the prime time to buy a car, five to five to seven years. If you buy a car that's six years old, it's already depreciated 60%. So if you bought a $50,000 car, well, we'll make easy math. If you bought a $100,000 car, by year five, it's only worth 40 or 50 grand. And so you just lost fifty or sixty thousand dollars by buying that car. Oh, and by the way, you paid interest. So you paid somebody extra for the privilege of losing net worth because you literally stuck sixty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars plus interest into a vehicle that you paid it off now, but it's only worth forty thousand. So people are like, oh yeah, well, like I hear people all the time say, like they'll own a car for two years, three years, and they'll sell it and they'll say, ah, I made $3,000 because $3, I sold it for 20 and it was only, and I only owed 17. And I'm like, no, you didn't. You paid $30,000 over the last three years on that car and you got 3,000 back when you lost. Like you lost an insane amount of money. So I think like for my most recent purchase, I bought a 2013 Jetta diesel that had 23,000 miles on it. Beautiful car, great shape, awesome. I got it for 11,000 bucks, 11,900, I think. Blue booked it almost 15 grand and it's got another, it's a diesel. It's got like another 200,000 miles in it, Yeah, you know, and it's not going to drop much more in value. It might go down, mm -hmm. but the difference in me buying an $11,000 car that might go down to four or $5,000, even, even though it won't, it won't go down in value that fast because it's already reached, you know, it's like slowed down on depreciation. Mm -hmm. Like I lose six grand. Okay. Vice. If I'd bought that car brand new and I still owned it, I'd be out $20,000 already. Yeah. Maybe 30. So, um, yeah, I would say that's the one that most, most service members, that's the one they get into a brand new car. When you could buy a five-year-old car, that's still nice. Yeah. And at least, at least even though you're paying interest and even though it's probably a waste of money and you're putting new parts in it and you're doing all the same stupid stuff that you would do with a brand new car, at least it's not dropping in value. Right. <laughs> so, Absolutely. I think the richest I ever felt, and I'll just tell everybody, especially um, service members out there listening, is when my wife and I paid off both our vehicles and 
that was the most liberating feeling for one thing. But otherwise, any vacation trips we took were were like not even a hit. You know what I mean? We were on cruises and everything. We were just able to spend our money on amazing experiences and memories versus spending, you know, a thousand dollars or more on two car payments together, you know, and that just takes a big dent. Um, you just yeah. have that free extra money to invest in other things. It's just the most comfortable I've ever felt was when that happened, you know. So definitely a goal you should have is not not have some ridiculous car payment and that you're just like you're saying just throwing money down the toilet and flushing it really hard yeah Um, yeah absolutely so so great stuff man so so from a millionaire uh, from military to millionaire so you got the website you got the podcast um can you can you tell the listeners a little bit about that and how they can find those things yeah i started the military millionaire community in early 2018 i just started documenting what i was doing I guess people liked the idea because it grew fairly quick. So now, I mean, there's a there's a YouTube channel, the Military Millionaire Podcast, uh, Military Millionaire YouTube channel, Facebook group. Definitely jump on the Facebook group. It's a great community for uh, you know, whatever. But I mean, ultimately, the long and short of the elevator pitch for everything is, uh, you know, I'm here to help service members and veterans learn how to build wealth through real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance. Yeah, and that's, that's that's what we do. That is awesome. That is awesome. And, you know, I joined the page and I've been listening to some podcasts, great stuff. And I've heard you on other podcasts. And that's what, like I said earlier, I wanted you on this show because great information. And also there's a lot of credibility that comes from, you know, someone talking about this stuff and getting to the places where you are, where you came from. You know what I mean? Because, you know, you know, when I see another enlisted member that's able to live comfortably and teach other people how to become financially stable, um, like I said earlier, talking about the inspiration, right? That's called inspiration to me. So thank you for everything you do. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. So it's been fun. Yeah, man. It it has. Uh, Hopefully we can have you on again. We're going to talk about some other topics. We're going to dig a little bit more into maybe the nitty gritty on things. I'm sure some people have more questions. Happy to help. Cool. So, hey, so we wrap these up, what we call the uh, leadership rapid fire. And we're going to ask you a series of four questions. And um, and it's just however you want to interpret them. You just go and answer them and it's like a, a what and why type thing. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. So question number one, what is your favorite leadership trait? Transparency. Nice. All right. Transparency. All right. Next, what is your favorite quote? Oh, it's a good one. I, the one that I think hits home a lot is burn the ships, Mm. which is, if you're familiar with that quote, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, when what's his name? Hernan Hernan Cortez. Yeah, there you go. Cortez, when he got to South America and he was like, all his men were like, we're outnumbered, we're going to die. And he just burned his ships and was like, well, either you fight or you die. You're not leaving. So they won. <laughs> so funny. Just this last week, uh, we, we posted an article that um, uh, Senior Master and Paul Hammer up in Alston, Alaska, shout out to Paul. He wrote an article talking about that exact quote, right? That, that whole story right there. So very cool. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, awesome. All right. Third question. Um, so we talked about, you know, the book that got you into a rich dad, poor dad. Any other books that you would recommend to maybe a person that's aspiring to be maybe an entrepreneur or getting or learning more about money? There's a lot of good ones out there. I really like the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss because it, I think it's, I think it's necessary because if you salary members think like, oh, well, how can I do the least amount of work and get to the end of the day and go home? And if you want to be an entrepreneur, you need to learn how to think, how can I get the most done in the least amount of time? And that's what that book's all about, efficiency. 
It's yeah. a whole different way of thinking. It'll probably have you dislike a lot of the ways the military does things just because <laughs> a big organization can't be that flexible, but it'll help you be way more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing is I think we're during this whole COVID thing, we're all kind of looking at that too. It's like, is it is eight hours sitting at a desk required if you can get the work done at six? You know what I mean? Like we're actually thinking about that within my organization as well. So, so very cool. And Tim Ferriss is awesome. Great book. Definitely got to, I will add that to your show notes for anybody who's interested. Right on. All right. So the final question, this is uh, our deep question that you can interpret however you want. We're all about life learning and leadership at the Lama Lounge. So how do you find harmony between life learning and leadership? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, I've found that the more I hustle and I'm a little bit of a workaholic, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt, the more I have to physically schedule in time for me to relax or I'll burn out. So a lot of people, they think that leaving white space in their schedule means that they're relaxing because they're watching TV or they're goofing off or they're playing with kids or whatever. And that's all well and good, but you'll find a lot of times that, especially if you're an entrepreneur or you're hustling or whatever, that you'll do that for two or three hours and you won't actually be relaxed at all because the whole time you're like, oh man, I could be being productive right now. And so you have to shift your mentality to physically schedule in like from this time to this time, I'm doing this because I need this so that I can recover and do more the next day or whatever. Um, and then don't take your phone, don't whatever, and force yourself to actually re- like mandate like relaxation time or whatever and recharge. And it will really, really, really change a lot. But I think some great advice in general is instead of buying things, buy experiences. And that's what I'm trying to do more of. So like instead of buying I don't know, uh, a nice watch. Maybe I spend that money on a, a weekend RV trip or something right. like like memories, experiences. I think those things are a lot more powerful. Yeah, I'm 100% there with you. And I think something clicked with me a while back. And because I could be a minimalist at home, I really don't need a lot of stuff. But the experiences that I've had, man, they stick with me forever. And I'd much rather invest in those things than just the, the you know, just the materialistic things that we don't necessarily even need right? You can prove it to yourself by making it go away. So um, great advice, David. And um, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate you. And I know I'm going to listen to this one a couple of times to see about the tidbits information that you put out there that really can help people be just, you know, fiscally responsible, financially ready to be able to take care of mission or take care of their own, their own life, their own happiness. So appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. To all our listeners, as always, uh, be safe, stay healthy, and llamas are out. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.